Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, we are doing another listener Q&A episode. we got two questions we're going to be dropping at you today. Dropping at you, dropping on you, bringing to you, coming at you. You ever do that sometimes? Like you just have like multiple variations of the same sentence in your head and they just kind of come together and it just doesn't quite come out the way that you anticipated. It happens. It's part of being a speaker. All right. So today we've got, again, two listener questions we're going to be bringing to you. The first one is all about using PowerPoint and visual aids and slides whenever it comes to speaking. This is one that we haven't talked about on the podcast. And so we're going to get into that today. And then the second question, we're going to be talking about your domain name and your website. And so maybe you're someone who's like, Hey Grant, I already have a website and I'm trying to figure out how do I incorporate speaking into that? Should it be incorporated into that? So we're going to get into that in the second question. So again, if you have a question, feel free to let us know. We want to answer your questions. We try to do a mix of interviews on this. We do some teaching from me. We do some listener Q&A. So if you have a question that you would like to have answered, definitely stop by thespeakerlab.com and go to the Ask Grant tab right at the top there and send us your question, preferably through voicemail, which is what you're going to hear today from both of the listeners, but you can also just text in your question if you would like, or if you have a guest that you would like to hear, some speaker or someone in the industry that you think would be valuable to others, and you would like to hear them on the podcast, let us know. Uh, if there's a certain topic that you want me to teach on, I guess you can just ask that question and uh, we can hear your voice. So anyway, we'd love to hear from you and we appreciate you, uh, you listening, tuning in. So let's get right into it. Here's the like, questions for today's show. Hello, uh, this is Peyton Blau from Greenville, South Carolina. My speaking website is PeytonBlau.com, P-A-T-O-N-B-L-O-U-G-H.com. And my question for you today, Grant, is when and how should I use visual aids? I have a variety of visual aids that I do use, especially for workshops. I just don't always know how to use them on a keynote and whether I should use them on a keynote. So should you use a PowerPoint on a keynote and maybe perhaps some other visual aids that help back up your keynote? That's my question today. Thank you. Hey, thanks for the question, Peyton. I take this question. This is a uh, good one. Okay. And then I was looking back through the list of podcast episodes and realized we haven't really talked about PowerPoint or slides or visual aids or anything like that. So this is a good question. So I'll start on the kind of the PowerPoint and the slides thing, and then we'll come back and kind of talk about visual aids in general, specifically like physical props that you may want to use. But as it relates to slides, PowerPoint, Keynote, whatever, I'm generally not a big fan of slides for a few reasons. One, there's a million things that can go wrong. And speakers can really become very, very dependent on their slides. And so just at the time of this recording, 
I was just at a conference and I was watching uh, a couple speakers who were having all kinds of issues with the clicker, like the little remote that's advancing the slides. And it just, it was throwing them off so much because this dumb clicker wasn't working. So there's just, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, a lot of things that can fail. And so speakers can oftentimes just become really, really dependent on their slides. The second reason I'm not a big fan of using slides, speakers can oftentimes get more focused on their slides than on the talk. They get more focused on their slides than the talk. This conference I was at that I just referenced, I was talking with a friend of mine backstage who was getting ready to go on and speak. And I was asking, hey, man, you ready? You feel good? You need anything? And he just started talking about his slides. Like you could just tell he was more focused on the slides than the talk, more focused on the slides than the talk. And it should not be that way. You should be more focused on the talk and that slides should just be an additional enhancement of the talk. Uh, And then finally, number three, the third reason why I'm not big on using slides is that speakers oftentimes use slides as cue cards or as a crutch. They use them as as cue cards or a crutch, meaning that they have to keep referencing their slides in order to know what to say next. And so we don't take the time to memorize the talk or learn the talk. I just need to know the next five minutes because then I'm going to throw up another slide and that will cue me on what to say next. So that is a lazy, lazy way to speak. And I, I don't recommend that at all. And so the overall idea that I always say when it comes to slides is that slides should be an enhancement, not a replacement for your talk. Slides should be an enhancement, not a replacement for your talk. So a couple ways to think of this. If five minutes before you're about ready to go out to speak, your slides go down or they don't work. Number one, could you still do your talk? Could you still go on? And number two, would the talk still be great on its own? So if you say, no, I couldn't do my, oh, my slides go down. I can't do it. Or the talk's going to be mediocre. Then you're not ready. You're not ready. Sometimes speakers make the mistake of, when we start preparing a talk, we start by preparing the slides and then we go back and try to create the talk. Don't do that. You start with the talk, create the talk. The talk itself needs to be good on its own. And then, and only then, if it makes sense, then you can come back in and add slides in. So nothing wrong with slides, but again, they need to be an enhancement, not a replacement for your talk. So again, if, you, if you're just like, well, you know, I, I can't do my talk without my slides, then you shouldn't be doing the talk. You need to make sure the talk is good on its own. You need to make sure that you can still deliver the talk without needing some type of cue cards, without needing some type of crutch. So if you just want to use slides to show a bunch of text, I think that's just a waste. Like that's not necessary. Like, you know, you can have it from time to time to show up a couple words there or a point that you're trying to make. But if you're just showing just bullet points and bullet points and text and text and text, like that's just a waste. You don't need to do that. Now, having said that, Again, like I said, slides can be a great enhancement for a talk. Again, the point, though, is they shouldn't be a replacement. But if you're going to use them as an enhancement, one of the best reasons to use slides is to use them with pictures or videos. Um, it's kind of like that old saying, the saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. It's so true. There are some things that cannot be conveyed through words that a picture can absolutely show. I'll give you an example. A speaker friend of mine has a a teenage daughter, but when her daughter was born, she had all kinds of of complications and medical issues. And so she talks about this in her talk about how difficult it was and challenging and painful and on and on. But then what she does is she shows a picture of her baby daughter hooked up to all kinds of tubes and medical devices. And you see how tiny she is. And that picture just communicates way more than she could as a speaker convey just in words. It's a really, really powerful picture. Even right now, 
does, I'm talking about it. Like I can describe it, but if you saw a picture of it, it changes the story for you. It changes the dynamic. And so if you have pictures, pictures and videos work really, really well to again, convey something that words cannot do. So slides can work really well for that, for showing those pictures. So visual aids can be like super helpful, can be super powerful in the form of slides, but they can also be super effective in the form of actual physical objects. And so Peyton, I'm not sure if you're talking about, you know, more of like physical, something that you would show and demonstrate or more of like the slides thing. But again, I think that you can do both. So I actually use a couple different visual aids in a couple different talks that I give. I tell a, um, a story about whenever I was in high school. I had a yearbook that I had. It's just a dumb story, but uh, I, and I won't even tell you the story. But the nutshell was a dumb, funny, hilarious story centering around a yearbook. Well, I could just tell that story and talk about something that's inside the yearbook or... I can bring out the yearbook. And so that's actually what I do. I travel and I bring the yearbook and I pull it out and I show them and I take it around. So again, it's way more effective and powerful to show the actual physical thing rather than just to verbally tell the story about it. The Another example of a, like a physical visual aid prop that I use is in some talks I talk about recognizing that we all have a capacity, that we all have limitations, that you cannot do everything. What we all have... 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, you cannot do any more than what that capacity allows. And so one of the things I do is I use a like a pitcher of water and then a glass and I start pouring water into the pitcher uh, and start talking about like this is this represents our lives and there's only so much space in this glass. There's only so much water you can pour into it. So I keep pouring and pouring and pouring till the glass is full. The glass is totally filled with water to the top. I start kind of walking around. There's a little bit of water spilling. I start pouring more water in the top. And so the illustration is basically... You can't add more and more things to your schedule, to your plate, to your life without taking something out. You have a capacity, you have limitations. And so it makes that visual point way more effective than me just describing it. Again, once again, right now, as you're listening to this, I can describe to you what happens, but it's not nearly as effective as if I'm actually demonstrating it and pouring it out. So having those visual aids of the water pitcher or the yearbook, those things work really, really well to make the point. Now, if you're going to use props like the water pitcher or the yearbook or something else, a couple of key things, just a few general rules I'd give you. Number one, is you want to make sure that everyone can see the prop. Everyone can see the prop. So it sounds like, Peyton, in your question, that does this work in a keynote setting versus a workshop? Well, workshops are typically smaller. They're typically going to be usually less than 100 people, whereas keynotes could be significantly higher. They could be, you know, I've given a keynote for as many as 13,000 people. And so if you're going to use a prop, you need to make sure everyone can see the prop. So whenever I use the yearbook, for example, if I am in a room of five 500 people, I'll walk around the room for a minute here as I'm talking about it and telling the story to make sure that as many people can see it as possible. If there's a video crew and they're giving kind of a live feed to video screens, I will talk to the video crew ahead of time and say, hey, I'm going to be telling the story about a yearbook. Whenever I hold up the yearbook, I'm going to need a tight shot on this to make sure that everybody can see it. So you just want to think that through ahead of time of making sure that if you're going to show something, some type of physical prop, that you're making sure that everyone can see it. Another recommendation of when using props is that I think it always helps to create mystery around props, create mystery around props. And what I mean by that 
is that maybe you've got a prop sitting on a table that maybe it's just covered up. And so people are kind of wondering like, hey, what's under that little blanket over there? Like what's under the, that sheet? What, is there something back there? Is there something behind it? Or maybe depending on the item, you just have it sitting out there on the table and it's something that just kind of piques people's curiosity. Like what's that for? Is, are they going to do something with that? Is that part of the talk? Is that, did someone forget that? So I'll put up that water pitcher in that glass and I'll leave them just sitting there on a table. Now, you know, a water pitcher in a glass, people may just assume, oh, he's a speaker, he gets thirsty. Uh, but it could be some random object like maybe you just you've got a thing of bananas just sitting there and people are just wondering like what like what are the bananas there for I, I did a talk several years ago that I used a bunch of like cardboard boxes for. And so I just had a pile, just a big pile of cardboard boxes on the stage, just sitting there. And I wouldn't reference them. I wouldn't be like, all right, these are cardboard boxes and I'm going to come back and talk to, about them later. No, it's just, it's there. It just kind of keeps people intrigued. Like, is he going to use those? Is he going to reference those? What are those for? I saw a speaker give a talk one time and they used a ladder as an example, as an illustration. So there's just, there's a ladder uh, like unfolded out on the stage there. And so people are wondering like, what's the ladder for? Is he going to climb it? Is he going to jump off of it? It? Is it gonna what like is it gonna swing from it? Like what's the point of that object? So create mystery around props. And then the third thing that I would recommend is to always practice with your prop. Practice with your prop. So for example, if I'm using the yearbook and I want to I want to tell that story. Uh, let's imagine for a, se a second that I have to hold a mic. That's the only option that they have is they have a handheld mic that I have to use. Well, then when it comes time to show the yearbook, I really need two hands. So I need to think that through ahead of time versus getting up there on stage and realizing, oh crap, I could really use a third hand right now. So those are the type of things that you need to think through and, and practice with your prop. Whenever I'm practicing with, you know, the pouring the water into the pitcher, I want to make sure that, okay, if I pour this in there, how is this going to work? You know, and making sure that you're practicing it, that you're, that you are thinking those individual pieces through. So Again, with if you're going to use props, if you're going to use visual aids of some type, number one, make sure everyone can see the prop. Number two, create mystery around the prop. And then number three is make sure that you practice with the prop. Now, if you want some great examples, there's several different TED Talks I would recommend that you check out. Bill Gates did a great TED Talk about mosquitoes and malaria. And so he talks about how mosquitoes uh, carry malaria. And then as he's talking about it, he's got a jar with mosquitoes and he releases the mosquitoes into the auditorium. And so he's talking about these mosquitoes, they carry malaria and I'm going to release them. Uh, that gets people's attention, right? Um, there was another talk from Jamie Oliver, who's a, uh, a chef, and he gives a TED Talk about teaching children about food and teaching about childhood obesity. And so what he does is he talks about the amount of sugar that the average child consumes. So rather than just talk about it, he brings it out. He literally brings out a wheelbarrow of sugar and he dumps it all over the stage. And you realize like, holy crap, that is a ton of sugar that children are consuming. So he could talk about it, but the visual aid of it is much more effective and powerful. There's another one, a gal, Jill Taylor, I believe is her last name, and she has one of the more popular TED Talks uh, called My Stroke of Insight, and one of the things she does is she brings out a human brain on the stage. She's holding it up, and she's talking about it. She's explaining it, and so she talks about a stroke and how it affects the human brain. So it's one thing to talk about. It. It's another thing to bring out an actual human brain and talk about it. So yes, the point being that the PowerPoint visual aids can be extremely effective for speakers in a keynote or a workshop setting. But again, the point is that they need to be an enhancement, not a replacement for your talk. Hello, Grant. My name is Todd. I'm calling from Maryland. I'm a new speaker and longtime trainer. I'm also a musician. I do have my name saved 
as a domain that I've been using for years in my music pursuits. I want to know, should I create a new domain for my speaking website or should I simply rebrand my domain name from music to speaking? I still do some music and I actually want to combine it into my speaking and presenting. So should I continue my old domain of my name or should I create a totally new domain for my speaking career? Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for the question, Todd. So to just cut right to the chase here and answer the question out of the gate, I would recommend that you use your existing domain, the domain of your name, and use that for speaking as well. And the reason is, is that there's, again, that you're as a speaker, that's it's your brand, it's your product. You are the main thing that people are buying there. So I always recommend that if possible, use your name as the domain. So if you already got it and you're using it for music, then you could certainly use it for speaking as well. Now, lots of speakers do more than just speak. So many of them have uh, books or courses or a blog or podcasts or they do coaching or consulting or whatever. And so what I would recommend for you, Todd, and for others is to determine for your brand just at large what your primary role will be, meaning that are you a speaker who does music or are you more of a musician who does some speaking? You see the difference there. Are you a speaker who does music or a musician who does some speaking? Again, it's okay to do a few things, but the more things you do and the more things that you emphasize, the more confusing your brand becomes. So when someone were, is to ask, what does Todd do? Do you say he does music and he speaks and he has a book and he has coaching and he is a chef and he trains chickens? Like it becomes very confusing very quickly. So determine what you want to be known for and make sure that you are clearly communicating that on your site. So I think it's actually great to combine speaking and music. And I think that can really be a uh, kind of a differentiating uh, factor as a speaker. One of our students, one of our, our students who is in Booked and Paid to Speak is a drummer and he used to play in a band. And so whenever he speaks, he gets like a local drum kit set up and he does like drum solos during his talk. He interacts with the audience using drums. I know another speaker who plays the saxophone as part of his presentation. So I think that's totally fine. I think you can absolutely incorporate music into speaking. But in both of those situations, I think of a speaker who speaks and happens to play an instrument versus, oh, there's this musician and they do a little speaking on the side. Do you see the difference there? So in fact, I went to both of their websites and the homepage, it wasn't pictures of them playing an instrument. It was pictures of them speaking. So if you go to the side of my friend who plays the saxophone, let's say I'm a decision maker who's looking to hire a speaker and the main picture on their site is them rocking out like Kenny G on the saxophone. I'm going to think, wait, 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 is this a speaker or a saxophone player? Like I'm looking for a speaker for my event, not a saxophone player. But if they speak, oh yeah, and by the way, they happen to incorporate music into it, then again, that's totally fine. So again, the short answer would be, I would just use your existing domain for your speaking, but make sure that you clearly communicate your primary role of what it is that you want people to hire you for. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that discussion about PowerPoint and slides and uh, visual aids. And then also talking about uh, the question from Todd about uh, an existing domain and how to incorporate that domain with your speaking. So anyway, I hope that was helpful for you. Again, if you have a question, definitely stop by the speakerlab.com. Go to the Ask Grant tab right at the top there. Leave us your voicemail question. We would love, love, love to hear from you and love to know how we can help you out. Hey, also just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, we would love for you to leave us a, a rating or review on 
on the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. You can do that within the app. Wherever you're listening to this right now, there's going to be a subscribe button nearby. Just hover over there and then just don't think, just pull the trigger, push that button. And uh, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast. And then over in iTunes, you can leave us a rating and review or Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show. And we'd love that. Helps other people to find out about the show. Also just helps to have some feedback from listeners to know how we're doing and how we can best help you. So again, appreciate you listening. Appreciate you being here. This wraps up episode 105. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.